Welcome back to the Daily Devotion. My name is Kevin. I'm the pastor of Christ Church Conway, a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America here in Conway, Arkansas. The Daily Devotion is a time for us to be strengthened in our faith through the study of Scripture and theology. At present, we're working our way through 1 Peter. If you've been following along, you're well aware of this. And we've made it up to 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 8 through 12 over the next couple of days. Peter has moved from this glorious introductory section where he reminds us of the the new identity that we have in Christ, having been born to a living hope, the new hope that we have in Christ, the, the security that we have in Christ with this unperishable, undefiled, unfading inheritance that is kept for us by God. He reminds us of all of that, and then he begins to kind of apply that and say, look, in light of all of this, here's what it looks like then to live as a Christian, of of whom all of these things are true. Sometimes we forget to make those connections. Sometimes we're scared of legalism. Sometimes we're, we're just lazy. It can be any number of things. But Peter reminds these elect exiles who are suffering because of their faith and and who are just suffering in life because life is is rough, as we all know. He's reminding them that these truths about us in the gospel should yield a a certain way of life. And and so he begins to apply that. Looking back in chapter 2 is where that began, and he's talked about what it looks like in relation to authority. He's talked about what it looks like within families. And now he broadens out in chapter 3, verse 8. And there's kind of three different sections in verses 8 through 12. There's a positive statement of how things should be. There's a negative statement. In other words, don't do it this way. And then verses 10 through 12, he seals this all up with this quote, with this reference back to Psalm 34 as a pattern for life. So we're going to look at this section over the next few days just like that. Today we'll look at verse 8, then we'll look at verse 9, then verses 10 through 12. So let me read 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 12. I'll pray, we'll read this passage together, and then offer some thoughts on verse 8. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that uh, in, in your providence, in your care for us, and your fatherly love of us, you don't just leave us content where we are, but both remind us of the reality of our new identity in Christ and call us to live in light of that. That you are concerned with us all the way through our life. And that you have given us your spirit to strengthen us. Would you now strengthen us by your spirit to understand your word? Might I speak in his power and might you give us all ears to hear that as we look at your word, we might see the glory of our Savior and the life to which he has called us and so learn to walk by faith in him in all righteousness. We ask this in Christ's most precious name. Amen. Finally, all of you, Have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. 
Well, Peter has worked through this family table or family code, applying this reality of the gospel and the ethic that flows from it to servants, to wives, to husbands. Now he broadens the scope and says, listen, finally, some translations say to sum it all up. I think that's how the New American Standard deals with it, to sum it all up. And then he gives this very broad statement, all of you. So, so what he's calling us to here is, is applicable to all Christians. He's not just talking to servants. He's not just talking to wives. He's not just talking to husbands. Though if we understand each of those categories rightly and what Peter was saying there, we begin to see that while he is singling out certain you know, subgroups, there are things to each of those that apply to all of us. But here he's just blatant about it. Everybody, listen up. Here's what it needs to look like. This is what the Christian life should look like. This is how we get along and, and encourage one another and strengthen one another, even in the face of suffering. This is the life both to which we are called in the gospel and which is enabled by the gospel as the Spirit applies to us the finished work of Christ, as he reminds us that we are secure, that we are children of God. We now have the freedom to do these things. And the reason I put it that way, the reason I say that we have the freedom to do these things is because when we think about what we're called to here, unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and humility, we need to be freed from, from the bondage of sin, from the tyranny of our flesh, in order to do all of these things. Because all of these really are, are a laying down, in one way or another, they are a laying down of me and myself and my flesh and my opinions and my high view of myself. They're a laying down of all of that for the sake of other Christians that are around us. And even as we know that the, the ethic of love in Christ, this Christian ethic extends not just to other Christians, but to all people. It's a laying down of ourselves for the sake of others. So he begins, and he's speaking here to, to this Christian community with unity of mind. Be like-minded in how you're thinking about things. The like-mindedness that we're called to is, is thinking rightly about the gospel and who we are in Christ and its implications. Remembering the, the truth that, that Peter laid out back in 1 Peter chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Have unity of mind in how we're thinking about each other and how we're thinking about ourselves. Why does this matter? Well, if I'm united with other people in thinking about myself as one who is only an object of God's grace and mercy, one for whom the grace and mercy of God are necessary, one 
to whom the grace and mercy of God have come, and therefore one who does now have standing with God, not because of anything in me, but because he has been gracious, he has been merciful, he has given his son to die in my place that I might have life. If that's how I'm thinking about myself and how I'm thinking about you, all of a sudden, we've got equal standing before God. We've got equal standing in the church. We've got equal standing with one another. We've got equal standing in the body of Christ. How much unity is lost because we fail to think of each other in that way? that everyone who is found in Christ has equal standing. See, that's what unity of mind about the gospel and the people of God brings about, and that's what he's driving at. Then he adds to that, all of you, be sympathetic. Okay, so understand where each other are coming from understand and recognize the reality of each other's sufferings rather than looking at someone that is hurting in a way that you're not and in a way that you think in your arrogance you have been able to keep yourself from hurting and so you look at them and go well if they would have just done x y or z they wouldn't be doing with this or dealing with this or if they would have just been this way they wouldn't be suffering in this way no no, no. put that off and be sympathetic towards your brothers and sisters in christ in their suffering Seek to understand where they're coming from. Oh, how far would this get us, not even just within the church, but within community at large, if we sought to understand where other people were coming from. If we sought to recognize the reality of their suffering rather than just viewing them as weak for recognizing their own suffering. How much more is sympathy the obvious right way to live in the body of Christ? It's so easy if we're not suffering to look at other people and to look at their suffering and have no sympathy for them because we're arrogant about why we're not suffering in that way. Peter says, no, no, no. Seek to understand them. Recognize the reality of their suffering. Don't shame them for it. Recognize that their life, their situation, in some way that may be completely different than yours, is hard. It's brutal. Be sympathetic to one another. Have brotherly love. Peter uses these familial terms. We know what it is to love our brothers. Many of us have siblings and, and family members that, that we don't see eye to eye with, and we, we may think very, very differently about life. But the family relationship provides a level and a reality of love between us that Peter says belongs within the body of Christ. He applies these familial terms outside of the family because he wants us to think about the body of Christ in these familial ways tenderhearted towards one another, similar to, to sympathy, caring about one another, weeping with those who weep, rejoicing with those who are rejoicing. So, so this idea seems to move beyond just recognizing another's plight, but actually stepping into it with them. We distinguish between sympathy and empathy. And this 
is what we see modeled for us in Christ. He was compassionate towards us. He stepped into our situation to care for us. Finally, he calls us to humility, to not thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to use Paul's language. This most rare of character traits in our world Again, Karen Job, she writes this way. She's actually quoting uh, from another, another commentator, J.H. Eliot. says, In the highly competitive and stratified world of Greco-Roman antiquity, only those of degraded social status were humble. And humility was regarded as a sign of weakness and shame, an inability to defend one's honor. Thus, the high value placed on humility by Israelites and Christians is remarkable. And so it is in our culture as well. Where if you don't stand up with all the brashness, with with all the, the ego, with all the vitriol, then you're weak, you're a loser, you're 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 whatever. Peter says that's not how we as Christians should be. Again, it's the freedom that we have in Christ to set our flesh aside and not feel that we have to defend it. It's the humiliation of Christ who who set aside his his right to to all things divine as we read about in in Philippians 2. He he emptied himself of this. Though Though he was God, though he is God. And it's this mind that we're called to have when we think about ourselves. This is what Peter calls us to. This is what the gospel calls us to and enables us for because it frees us from the tyranny of our flesh that wars against these five character traits. We'll look at the other side of this tomorrow as Peter calls us to step away from certain things. But we must see that it is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the identity, hope, and security that we have in him that gives us the freedom to step away from our flesh and pursue these things in the power of the Holy Spirit. May Christ be with us as the Spirit leads us in that. Amen.